Well, spooky salutations, all you goblins and ghouls out there, and welcome to another episode. What? Wait a minute. This isn't Horror Fest. What am I doing? This is... What? Ah, this right here. Yeah, that's right. Spooky, disembodied voice. (laughs) Ooh. Uh, This isn't Horror Fest at all, but it is October, and and when it's October, we do super spooky stuff so welcome everyone to a special spooky episode of the star wars eu or e review hosted by us the fan correspondents you've got me uh, i'm al also known as red lanyard on, on the site and all the social stuff and then we also have my constant companion and co-host uh mr jacob vance hardesty how are you doing jacob i am doing fantastic al ready to not only put another uh, feather in my cap on the Horror Fest podcast, but also talk about some uh, talk about some uh, Star Wars. Oh yeah, we are y'all. We are doing Horror Fest this month. It has already been a blast. It's been so much fun. Um, but I mean, y'all know me. I love horror. I love the spooky sensations I get every fall, and that has just bled over into our Star Wars show. And I'm very excited to tell you that tonight we are talking about the Star Wars Ode Canon, so Expanded Universe novel, Death Troopers, by Joe Schreiber. Um, Yeah, so this book is a trip. Um, It is um, a relatively short book. It's got like 200, uh, the copy I have has like 225 ages or so. Mm. Um, so it's a very quick read. Um, but that does not mean that um, it lacks any s- substance or punch. Um, since it's so short, this is a very fast-paced book, which is something you kind of enjoy um, when it comes to horror stories. Um, but yeah, so uh, Joe Schreiber um, is a horror author. Uh, this is not the only Star Wars book he's written. We may explore some more of his stuff in the future. For special um, horror fest and Star Wars EU crossover events, but um, yeah, so um, just a quick rundown: Death uh, Troopers uh, released October thirteenth, two thousand nine. Can't think of a scarier date. <laughs> and um, yeah, this was um, Schreiber's goal was to tell a story within the Star Wars world um, that uh, was very horror-based, was very scary, and was very much inspired by uh, various horror stories um, that have influenced him, um, especially that of Alien. Um, he's called a very huge influence on his story writing in this one. So, um, Jacob, I'll toss it over to you, um, because I have read a lot of horror stuff. Um, I've, I've kind of learned the the story beats, the tropes and things that people do whenever they write uh, a horror book. But as a writer yourself, uh, my friend, mm-hmm. um, how much of horror just in general have you read and what were kind of your expectations or background knowledge about uh, this book specifically kind of entering a, a horror area uh, within the greater um, expanse of Star Wars? Uh, sure. So, being completely honest, when it comes to reading horror, I haven't read as much as I would like to. Um, I've read a couple of the different, like, the big name ones. I've read 
Dracula, Frankenstein. Um, my personal favorite will always be Haunted on Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Um, but when it comes to pretty much anything else within the genre, I am fairly unfamiliar. Um, just because it's just something I haven't really kind of dived towards as, as often as I have with other other books. Um, that being said, what was what I did find interesting about this and where kind of a lot of the background came in, at least for me, on this is that there are a lot of. I know you said he took a lot of uh, inspiration from Alien, but I mean, there's a lot of like slasher kind of. Uh, 80s horror vibes uh, in this book, at, at least at least in the starting point. If you're looking for you know the the kind of tropey kind of stuff of we ran out of gas, oh no, you know <laughs> and we have just enough to get to the spooky abandoned star destroyer. Oh, like if you're if you're looking for stuff like that, and I'm not going to do that voice the entire podcast, I promise. <laughs> um, I think you are. <laughs> I, <laughs> But things like that being part of this, that's kind of where, I mean, that's where I kind of drew a lot of the inspiration from, at least while reading it. Um, I mean, just off the top of my head, it has a very Night of the Living Dead um, vibe, obviously, with the with the the very basis of of what of who and what the zombies are, um, and how they interact with the different people around them. Um, including a scene that is soul-crushing that we'll get to in a second. Um, but also, I mean, just for some reason, I don't know why, but the entire... Is, is it Jeepers Creepers 1 or 2 that involves the school bus? Uh, that is Jeepers Creepers 2, yeah. Gotcha, yeah, because the first one was just Justin Long and his girlfriend, right? Yeah. Okay, so for some reason... God, God bless Justin Long. Yeah, somehow. Amen. Uh, he has somehow wormed his way into a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> he, he has. Uh, just watched Barbarian last week, which was fantastic. Everyone should go watch that. Nice. Nice. Yes, I agree. That's a good really movie. Really good movie. Um, but um, <laughs> we love you, Justin Long. Um, but no, it uh, it has kind of that vibe. Just it's, it's a group of people that all just get stuck in the middle of nowhere and all these crazy things kind of start happening. And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where I take a lot of the, the tropes from the earlier parts of the book. Uh, obviously eventually it becomes something very different. Um, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Y you can definitely tell just like the various influences that have gone into this. Um, of course, alien is the one uh, that the author himself kind of identifies as um, a main influence uh, but i mean as you said jacob there's like obvious influence of like of classic zombie films uh, there's influence of of some s s slasher themes um and the main thing that struck me and it kind of coincides a lot with the um, initial release of the book um, um it hit me hardcore like this is just headspace set in oh in star wars like yeah yeah as like the um infection that's um unexplained that sets in seems to have some kind of sentience or intelligence to it um as you go into the story further and further 
just the setup of being on a space station and having to move from one station, uh, I'm sorry, one space station into the next, uh, where things are more um, horrific <laughs> and concentrated. Um, so, I mean, just those kind of parallels are really enough to kind of tell you what you need um, as far as if you're in the fence about uh, kind of hopping into this um, s s story. But um, yeah, I will say that um, Joe Schreiber, uh, this is the first thing from him I've ever read. Um, so I have no, um, no background knowledge of his work no um, assumptions or preconceptions about his writing style or his or his storytelling or anything like that. Uh, so going into a completely blank slate on that front. Um, as a horror fan myself, um, this felt almost immediately I could tell that this was written by somebody who loves horror and who has studied the themes, who understands what goes in to t t t tension, what goes into fear, what goes into first creating and setting up the atmosphere before really revealing anything that is um, real, before kind of showing off the, the enemy or the monster, so to speak. Uh, just kind of creating an atmosphere of, of tension and uncertainty uh, was something that he was able to do very fast. I mean, we've already said this book is just over 200 pages long. Um, I don't think that's like a negative about it at all. I think this book is exactly as long as it should be. Um, uh, we have talked in episodes past about how sometimes these Star Wars books try to be a bit more than what they are and kind of um, could be a lot <laughs> shorter than what they turn out to be. But um, I think this is a very efficient approach to telling a concentrated story um, within this world. Um, and so we will hop into it. Um, now, I was unaware of this before I picked up the book, but this is... Um, um, this is a story that does have its beginning in the other Star Wars book, or one of the other ones uh, that Schreiber wrote, um, called Red Harvest. I have not read Red Harvest, but um, I'm very excited to now, after very much enjoying this book. But um, So basically the premise of this book is that you follow this uh, relatively small group of characters. There are two teenage boys who are um, who are prisoners on a prison transport heading to a planet to be delivered, like to serve out their sentences, essentially. Um, it's them and a whole, whole plethora of other um, prisoners as well. Um, and then we also follow um, kind of the captain of the station um, and an imperial captain named Artorius, uh, the two teenage boys whose names are Trig and, and Kale, Trig being um, the 
younger of the two. And then uh, we also have um, the medical officer um, on, on the station as well, um, named Dr. Zahara. And so we have these core few characters that are kind of our survivors of what can briefly be described as a zombie outbreak on this um, station. Um, it's full of a bunch of prisoners, a bunch of Imperials. They discover a Star Destroyer out in like this random part of space that they kind of fly over and connect to because they are having issues with their engine. Um, again, a very classic setup as far as horror stuff goes. But um, and, and essentially, uh, the recon team comes into contact with some kind of infection virus type thing that essentially turns people into zombies. Uh, now, uh, uh, Jacob, we'll jump really quickly into the characters of this because I, for one, really enjoy how the characters are done in this story and that yep. you don't learn anything about them that you don't need to know. Um, and I think that's great. That is something that a lot more authors should do. Not mm -hmm. everybody needs to have this huge, big origin story that mm -hmm. you spend 100 pages on. <laughs> we know exactly as much about these guys and girls as we need to know. So, uh, that being said, uh, Jacob, I'd like to hear what you thought about uh, arguably the two central characters of the story who are uh, the teenage brothers, um, Trig and Kale. Um, how did you like kind of how they were introduced into the story? Um, um, just kind of their place as protagonists within a Star Wars story, despite not having the force, despite not having some kind of um, huge, interesting backstory um, or anything like that, but just kind of they were who they were. How did you enjoy them as as kind of the main characters of the story? Yeah, I um, I mean, I th I thought they were, I thought they were pretty great, honestly. Um, because because like you said, they, <clears throat> you know, just enough about all but two characters in this story. Um, we'll get to the to those two characters who I, I you know who I'm talking about. Oh, um, oh yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else, like you said, you know just what you need to know about them. What I think is a is success is a success in the writing on on two fronts. One in the fact that, like you said, it if you're gonna do a kind of short and sweet and to the point, just a tale that honestly you could you could read in a night if you really wanted to, mm -hmm. uh, if you're if 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 you're willing to power to power through. I. Two two forty five pages. That's a, that's a little rough for me to do in a, in a single night. I'm because I'm a slower reader, but I know people who could one hundred percent do that. Um, and I think not giving you a lot of backstory on these characters works in in its favor in that sense. Um, but the other the other thing is that since you know just enough about each character. That means that, that no one has plot armor. Each character yep. could die. Um, yeah. And, you know, that, I mean, except for the two, like I said. Um, but, I mean, there because there was never a point 
there was never a point where I didn't think that Trig or or Zahara or, or anyone else could could just randomly just off and die either from the virus or or from the zombies after the virus, whichever one could happen. Um, and I think that works just really well with this kind of story. Um, Trig and Kale specifically, you get enough about them to really just kind of. If if you're if you're if your goal while writing them and or reading them is to kind of have this idea of what is their central core theme, theirs is obvious is very simple. It's brotherhood, and because the two of them are watching out for each other no matter what, there is no there is no separating the two until certain things happen. Um, and I think that worked really, really well. And I think they really, I think they solidified, he solidified that very early on just enough. Um, when the entire scene with, I'm going to say our miss is how you say his name. It's a U R M Y S S. Um, I think that's fair. Yeah. I'm going to say our miss. <laughs> um, but the entire altercation with him where effectively these two boys have to take on um forgive me i might be uh, i might be misremembering but it's effectively the two of them have to take on their father's debt correct um it was they had an uh their father had an arrangement with rms and to um to trade for something and rms kind of reneged on the deal yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. 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 Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, but you know that whole that whole sequence where you you have you know Trig Trig the fast talker, Kale's a bit bigger. Kale's kind of the he's he's the older brother. He's the one that's going to watch out for his younger brother, and he's kind of the one who makes makes the moves and everything. And that's they just kind of he just kind of nailed that for two main protagonist you know and you wanted to i wanted to see the both of them get off the ship that was and i think that's kind of your your main goal is when you're doing a story like this it's you want your you want your survivors to succeed um you know you uh going off of one movie that i know is one of your favorites but also uh, a clear reference to the to this and night of the living dead you want them to get out of the house you don't want him to get shot at the end, um, sure. you know, but and, and because that's another one you don't know a whole lot about the characters. And I think I think it works just really, really well with this book. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's kind of this central idea in a majority of horror with some exceptions. There are obviously, but in a majority of horror stories, there's this idea that. You don't need a whole lot of information about the characters because the characters are kind of intended to be interchangeable in a way. Um, not so much with each other, but with whoever is reading about is reading about them or watching them on screen or something like that. Um, there's a famous story about Alien that when they were casting the film Alien, um, uh, they didn't attach any kind of race or, or gender identifiers to any other to any other roles when they were um, auditioning potential actors because um, they were trying to make the characters 
be as blank slate as they could possibly be because blank slates are easy to 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 see uh, to see yourself into in the perspective of the audience so when we have characters in alien who like are just kind of talking and they're cracking jokes and they're showing like small flashes of their personality without going into their whole personal history of who they are as an individual. It's easy for the audience to kind of relate to them and just be like, oh, like I crack jokes and like I enjoy like hanging out with the boys on the job and things like that. So you see a similar kind of effect in in this story as well, where in Death Troopers you are introduced to characters who you have a very surface level amount of information on because you have on these two kids, these two teens who are just like, Oh, like I've got siblings or I've got very close friends who like we hang out and like we do things with each other. And we, they have experienced like some kind of loss together as well. And there's just enough there for you to, um, relate to and kind of shift yourself into that kind of role and that makes it a lot more easy to become invested in the story because you have characters that you not only care about but are open enough that you can see yourself in so that's just kind of a recurring um tool that's utilized um in horror that schreiber um, kind of uses here but um yeah i think these kids are great um they are written, I think, in a way that kind of makes them feel a bit older than they're supposed to be at times, which um, it makes sense. Their kids who have had to grow up very fast due to uh, their father having died, having lived on the road or on the hyperspace paths, if you will, um, all their lives and kind of adapting to things. But I think there are enough scenes where um, Trig and Kale's, especially Trig's reactions to just the awful, horrific things that are happening around him um, show just how young they are. Um, and I think that's really, really important as well, that there's kind of a balance in these characters where they show enough courage and they show enough initiative that you want to root for them and you want to see them rewarded and succeed because they are showing that they're strong and courageous and things like that while still making them sympathetic enough by showing them to be just as horrified as you would be in this kind of situation, right? Like you don't want just a Master Chief type character who can handle everything uh, without any trouble, but um, you also don't want like um, I don't know, like a Hinge type character from Evangelion who is just <laughs> paralyzed with fear every second that you see them. So you want kind of an in between space, and I think Schreiber is really good at kind of showing that specifically with these two characters. Um, but um. Yeah, so, so we have them two. We also have Dr. Zahara and Captain um, 
Artorius as well. And how could I forget? I apologize, everybody who has read this book and probably called me out on it as soon as I said it. There are not four major characters in this story. There are five uh, because I forgot Waste, the droid. Uh, Waste and, and how could I do something so atrocious? Yeah, it exactly. Is. He is wonderful. Um, so you have Waste, who's kind of like this um, surgical droid. Um, um, he helps out uh, Dr. Zahara taking care of all the patients and things like that. Um, he kind of acts as like uh, kind of a confidant for Dr. Zahara, uh, which is really cool. Um, it could it could just be me. I don't think this is like how a majority of people feel, but I really enjoy um, droids in Star Wars as far as seeing them kind of take roles where they're humanized a bit, uh, but not entirely. Um, I think it just kind of shows an interesting part of that world where, like, they just kind of accept, you know, there's artificial intelligence, there's these robots who are a part of our everyday lives, but there's still a distance and separation there from the rest of us. So um, I always enjoy that part of the Star Wars stories. But, um, yeah, so we have um, Zahara, and we have Captain... Or Taurus, um, and Waste, of course. But, um, and these two characters are really interesting because these are kind of used to show kind of the two, the two spectrums of orality within this situation, right? So this is another very common thing we see in horror films, especially in zombie films, right? There's always a character who is very upright who is very much focused on trying to do the right thing and help people and hold on to their hope and their humanity and all that and then we always have a character who's just kind of a piece of shit who doesn't <laughs> who doesn't care about anybody who's only out for themselves and they kind of show the two ends of the spectrum as far as who they are and how they act within this horrific situation so within that context, within that framework, um, Jacob, um, I'd like to hear what you have to say kind of about Dr. Zahara, the captains, Artorias, um, and just kind of how you think those two characters kind of um, hit those roles and what they kind of bring to the story. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I really liked both of them. Um, I... I liked Sartorus except for one scene, um, but I thought he was interesting because because I kept expecting him to have like a redemption arc, and he doesn't really like he he does, but he doesn't um, because pretty much the entire the entire book you're like oh he's just an asshole. Um, and then, like, right at the very end, you know, he makes he makes a decision to to explain to Trig what ha basically what happened to his father, but not really, uh, and then just go <laughs> die in a in a sea of zombies, um, you know, which which I get the whole like sacrifice, like the plane's too heavy, you got to go on, you like like I I I get that, I do. Um, but at the same time, it just felt weird. Um, but I do. But it. But it was even weirder because I liked him pretty much throughout the entire time, in the sense of 
Okay, yeah, he's the um uh oh my god, I'm blanking on on a character to compare him to. I for some reason the first one that comes to mind is Wayne Knight in Jurassic Park, and that really doesn't work because he doesn't die. <laughs> he dies way sooner. Um but but anyways, he's he's the <laughs> that's that's a great man. That's a, that's a great pull. No, um, it's incredible. I mean, he's just he's he's the asshole that just wants to survive, you know, to, to through any means necessary, even if he has to shoot the warden in the head, um, and also shoot other guards that are sick, not yet zombies, just sick, um, mm-hmm. and then hold two other boys at gunpoint to get the last escape pod, um. You know, it was what that was the interesting part is because when he goes to the escape pod, I immediately was like, "Oh, I guess that's the last we see of Sartorus." That's kind of weird. He's um, out. Yeah, he's gone. He's just gone. <laughs> he uh, made it. Yeah, Zahara. To to contrast him, I think is a is definitely a good. It's definitely a good plan because you. I think you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about the two boys that I have no idea what their ages are. Like I, I legitimately have no idea. My, my something since they're on a prison bar is that at the very least Trig is old enough to be charged with something, but Hey, it's an empire. They can do whatever the hell they want. Uh, I, think, I think it said at one point early in the book that Trig is 14 years old and Kale okay. is like a couple years older than him. Okay. I, I I'm I'm I missed that, but but to be fair, like you could put any age on them, and that's kind of why they work as kind of yeah. blank slates. Yeah. Zahara, they, are, they are five and seven years old. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just make this we'll just make this get really dark really quick. Um, which which makes every scene with with uh, any adult character just seem weirder by by <laughs> contrast. Um, but no, it. Um, <laughs> um, having Zahara as kind of this voice of of morality and and wanting to do the right thing was definitely a good a a good decision. The one thing I will say about it though is that. I, and this could have just been me. There were points of her story because she's she's the main one who gets a lot of backstory, uh, yes. in my opinion. Yes. Um, and I don't mind that because, by all technical reference, uh, just sticking with horror tropes, San, uh, Loomis is the one who gets the most backstory in, in the first Halloween. But mm-hmm. with, but with this. The only problem I had with it is that there is a point where they're discussing he's discussing her origin. And for some reason, the way that he frames the sentence because he because he talks about how she fell in love with one of her professors. Or mm-hmm. is it one of her professors? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then in the next paragraph, like like back to back, she talks about how Trig and Kale's dad, because their last name is Von Longo, um, and, and that's she says. Then and then everything changed when she was with Von Longo. For some reason, the way that was framed, I had to read it three times before I figured out she is not in love with their father. <laughs> um, and I know that's weird. 
I get it. I know that that is that that is a like Jacob. What are like what what's wrong with your head? Like I get that, but it was kind of a weird moment. Um, Jacob, he was an archangel the whole time. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Go check out our Van Helsing podcast, everyone. Uh, uh, please do. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing the giveaway for the singular ringtone. <laughs> Nineteen years later, um, um, I got distracted. Um, one th- and really, Von Longo's death is the one thing that I kind of wish he wasn't vague about. Because it mm. is such a pivotal moment for four ma- for our four major characters. Really, Waste is the only one who doesn't care. Um, but the other four, <laughs> it is central to their story arc. Sure. And I still don't know why Sartorus killed their father. I understand that it was like, oh, he was questioning him. Questioning him about what? Like, if we never get this kind of idea that Von Longo is like a rebel sympathizer or anything like that, and... I don't know. That aspect of it was the only. If if this if this had one major complaint for me, that is the that is the main one for me because it is very clearly the inciting incident for four of the characters. Good, but it's very unclear as to what happened with it, and and why it happened and how it happened. Um, hell, so much so that like there's a point where. There's a point where Sartorus she and because Zahara is thinking back, and Sartorus comes in, um, like as he is over Von Longo's body, and he says, "Paying respects to the dead, to the dead, to the dead," and like, like that's it's not exa- it doesn't echo, but that's how I read it, um, because like my the entire book. I kept having this mindset of like, are we going, are they going to try to pull like a, uh, like a Severus Snape esque twist on here where like <laughs> Longo secretly had this whole plan to, to save his boys from the, from the virus, but he had to die for it to be enacted or, or some crazy crap like that. That was, that was in my head of there being so secretive about it. It has to have a bigger meaning. Um, so that's kind of the only thing that's kind of iffy on me with these characters. But I I do like that the way that it is set up, I do like that we have Trig and Kale as kind of our blank slates to kind of put ourselves into the into their shoes. And then we have Zahara, who is very clearly the I mean, to say a white knight is, is kind of, I know that kind of has negative connotations anymore, but it's true. Um because she is that kind of character. Um, and Sartorus is very much the the rogue who is just like, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get out of here. Uh, and I think that kind of fits really well for... And then all of a sudden we add zombies. And then let's see what happens with these characters. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it felt like, uh, by the time I got to the end of the book, it felt like there were like... Not even a whole lot. There were like 10 pages not in the book that kind of explained what was going on with her dad. Um, Because, I mean, you're entirely right. By the end of the book, we're just like, why, what happened with their dad? 
because uh, there are even lines in the book to think about, you know, um, Artorius was like interrogating him, but there are lines in the book that like indicate that uh, not only was he not a part of the rebellion, if anything, quite the opposite, like there are lines where Carol and Trigg are talking or thinking back on older times when they're talking about their dad and they're just like, he told us to like, to not get all mixed up with the rebellion. He like, our whole thing has always been like, you stay in your own lane, you take care of your own thing and you just kind of worry about yourself. So I don't know if the implication there is that is just to show just how uncaring and unhinged our Taurus was and that he he killed a man during an interrogation who didn't even have any information to give him in the first place. I don't know if that's the takeaway we're supposed to have um, from their dad's death, but it is very interesting because it also kind of begs where my mind went was um, about halfway through the book you are um, essentially told um, and also shown that for some reason these four characters seem to be immune from whatever this zombie virus is on the ship. In my mind, the thing that connected all four of them was the boy's dad, right? Um, uh, because obviously he was their dad. He was the, the prisoner that Sartorius killed in interrogation, and he was the prisoner that Ahara grew very close to while taking care of him, and he was the one who found him dead. So we have these four characters, all for no explanation, just so happened to be immune to the virus. And the one thing kind of connecting them all together is the boy's dad. And so at some point I was just kind of like, is there going to be some kind of like secret in the basement type thing where like you find out that the dad was like patient zero somehow, or that he like found out about the virus ahead of time somehow. And that's what the deal he had arranged was all about. And he somehow secured himself some kind of, antiviral that spread to these other four people and then you don't really get any answer it's just kind of like well yep he died all four people knew about him and and now there are zombies and now these four just so happen to be immune and so you're just kind of like okay well huh all right (laughs) (laughs) that guy (laughs) irrevocably changed our entire last at least at the very least the last week of our lives you know I'm probably going to forget about him tomorrow. I'll t- yeah, I was just <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> okay, I'll take that L. I thought for sure there was something there, but I was wrong. Right. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, it is very odd um, that that was just kind of left unaddressed. And, again, I don't know if it was just another example to kind of set up those four characters and give you that little bit of context you need through one central thing kind of uniting them all that's probably all it was but it was very strange um by the end of the book um now before we get to the zombies which i want to spend a good amount of time on the zombies 
Um, we can't we can't end this character discussion without talking about our two surprise characters mm-hmm. showing up honestly out of nowhere. <laughs> um, so we have talked about before this idea or uh, rather this criticism that some people have about star Wars is that, you know, all these stories just feature the same characters over and over and over and over again. And there are some people who don't enjoy that and want stories about new characters, new situations, new issues, new conflicts, all of that good stuff. And I see the grounds for that. I can sympathize with that, even though I personally do enjoy to read new stories about the characters I already am invested in and care about. Uh, But I can empathize with that. So I thought this book was going to be a book about brand new characters in a brand new situation. And for the most part, it is. But out of nowhere, spoilers for the book, if you plan on reading this, um, if you haven't already. But um, about halfway through the book, uh, Dr. Zahara sounds out that uh, finds out that there are uninfected prisoners in the isolation cells. And so she heads over to that part of the ship and she's just like, hello, is anybody here? And she finds a very angry Wookiee. And when she finds the Wookiee first, there was a part in my head that was just like, no, no way. <laughs> There's other unnamed Wookiees in the Star Wars world. <laughs> There's no way. And then she opens the other isolation cell. And who is in it but our friend and everybody's favorite rogue, Han Solo. So it's Han Solo and Chewbacca on this Imperial prison ship that are in the middle of a zombie outbreak. <laughs> and for anybody who's curious, this story takes place just before A New Hope. If you open up to the very front of the book, it has the old canon Star Wars timeline that a lot of the old canon books had. Uh, this one takes place like right before A New Hope. Like we are right there. Like the droids are about to show up on Tatooine. And so, um, yeah, we got Han Solo and Chewbacca in the middle of the zombie outbreak. Jacob, how did you feel when you saw old Han and Chewie hanging out on this zombie-infested space station? Well, you're first off, you're right. I, I, I actually hope that, like... They left the they left the starter story at the end of this, and then they go to Moss Eisley, and then like they're discussing like when 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 Ben Kenobi walks up to them, and they're discussing like, dude, that zombie thing was crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're just like Chewie. I don't think anyone's gonna believe the <laughs> gonna believe us when we tell them. <laughs> I honestly think that's gonna be my headcanon. The rest of my life is that's that's what is happening to them at the at the beginning of a new hope. Um, that no, is, <laughs> that is great. Just before Ben comes up to them, um, it's just a shot of Han just like <laughs> with a thousand yard stare on his face, <laughs> and Chewie just perks up and is just like, "Hey, are you 
thinking about Blackwing again, and Han just kind of like slowly nods his head. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I got this uh, this old guy, this kid that went to ride along with us. Uh, are, are 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 we okay to take us back? <laughs> to take some time off. What what are we doing here? Um, <laughs> no, I I um Han and Chewbacca's inclusion in this, like just as characters. No problem at all. Um, the very first thing that happens to Chewbacca after he's introduced is one of the weirdest things I've ever read in any Star Wars book ever. And and I still don't understand what was happening there. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Let's get into it, yeah. So, because... So, right before, right before he goes down to solitary, Trig and Kale come across this they they escape their they they escape their sails their their sails Good sails <laughs> they escape their sails on the prison floor um <laughs> sorry everybody we're just just, just some good kentucky boys just trying yeah, to exactly. <laughs> every once in a while it, it comes out guys um i eat my cornbread and i drink my moonshine and that's all i know <laughs> <laughs> They escape their cells from from the <laughs> from the 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 detention area upon the prison barge. No, they um. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, right? Um. <laughs> then they go down this corridor and they hear they hear someone crying, and they walk up to them, and it is a young Wookiee. Who is crying while he is in the arms of his dead parents? Mm, yeah. uh, this which, is ar- this is arguably the most horrific part of the book. <laughs> it, it absolutely <laughs> is. Um, there's no there's no way around it. Um, and and for the record, um, mild spoiler alert: I don't know if either a they had that many Wookies on this ship, or b that is the same grouping that we see like four chapters before the end of the book. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like on the bridge. Yeah. I don't know if that's the same grouping. Um, I don't think it is because of what I'm about to talk about. Um, because. So while this child, this child Wookiee is attempting to like wake his parents up and he's like wrapping their arms around him and like a, it's, it's, terribly sad it's like one of the more depressing things i've read in a star wars book pretty much ever Uh, and then as trig and kale walk away they start they start to hear the child scream and then they start hearing what they describe as chewing noises which makes things even worse and then the screams stop and then Kale basically becomes Joel Miller from The Last of Us and goes, not our business, and then walks away. <laughs> which, which is such a weird, like, it was such a weird reaction. Because, cause like, the way it's described, the way it's described is that they maybe get 15 feet away, Al, would you say? I mean, like, they, uh, unless, like, it's a really long corridor. Because, like, the way it is described, they literally start walking away, and then all of a sudden, shit goes south. Um, but that's that's really beside the point. What, what, what affected me, like, about that thought process, or, or about that, about what is revealed during the Wookiees there, particularly when we then see Chewbacca, 
Um, they describe how the virus affects the Wookiees. I'll grab the book here. Because it's, it's different and it's weird to them. Um, I'm sorry, guys. Excuse me. That's okay. You know what I'm talking about, though, right, Al? Yes. Um, as you take some time to find the passage you want to use, um, I think so. This is one of the big things in the book that really hit home to me. Um, the parallels with um, the Headspace games, because this really adds an extra layer to what would otherwise be just like your your run-of-the-mill zombie virus. Mm. So, um, but, yeah. Yeah, so I found it. Um, it said, Trick saw what his brother was pointing at. The sickness had affected the dead Wookiees differently. Blech. Their tongues had swollen until they dangled like grotesque overripe fruit from their mouths, and their throats had ruptured completely, splitting open to expose deep red musculature within. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of horrifying. Um, it's pretty cool. So, so basically, like when I read that, I I was imagining like a like a bloodborne esque villain, like as a Wookiee, like a furry blood bloodborne esque villain, and um. Yeah, which sounds pretty awesome. Which does sound pretty awesome. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm but with you. That. You had me a bloodborne. <laughs> sure. But then, but then you contrast that with one of my favorite characters in the entire Star Wars lore, all of a sudden having these deranged, like, delusions about I must kill and eat all the Wookiees on Kashyyyk and all the people I've ever known and love. I must destroy them for these are the true songs of life day. Like <laughs> he goes into this whole tirade and then like they have this, they have this to be fair, they have this whole like situation where they have to stop Chewie from dying. Um, Effectively, he has to, uh, Zahara, excuse me, um, Zahara effectively has to, like, cut open, like, his, uh, what part of the throat is that? Um, basically, he has to make an air pocket to where he can suck out the venom of the, uh, of the virus as it is getting inside of him. Because effectively, the venom, the virus itself was getting inside of him before the antivirus, which he stuck him with, was able to work. And once he gets the virus out, everything's good and hunky-dory, and then we never talk about it for the rest of the book. <laughs> the part to me is that we had a moment where there is a chapter where you literally think, like, like Darth Zombie Chewbacca is about to be a thing, and then all of a sudden, we just, we're just letting that go. Just, Chewie almost died and ate Han, you know? Just, but no, we're, we're all good now. That's it, it's such a, it's such a weird moment that and then the Sartorist thing are the only two moments in this book where I was just like, I don't know how I feel about this. Every <laughs> at literally everything else. I was like, you know, this is this is pretty cool. This is this is a zombie story in the middle of, a star, of, of the Star Wars universe. And we are we are trading out, you know, old rickety cabins for, you know, cold Dura steel like that. That is 
where we were until we get to that this super weird moment with Chewbacca. Um, and I apologize for going on a tirade and 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 focusing on that because literally everything else about Chewbacca and Han in this is legitimately, at least for from in my personal opinion, absolutely perfect within their characters. I think everything they do works really well. I like the fact that they're simultaneously like very hesitant of like getting too involved with the situation, but at the same time, like because they do have the kind of hearts of gold kind of thing, they're like, well, we obviously can't let this kid die on the catwalk, um, you know, as he is dangling there. Um, but I also like that they're basically. Um, since Chewie is basically super strong and Han, despite being incredibly charming, is also basically like, you know, kind of clumsy and kind of just kind of flying by the seat of his pants when it comes to a lot of things. Um, but that's kind of part of the charm and it works really well for him. He's mm-hmm. definitely a bard if we were doing a D&D kind of situation. Um, maybe like a, a rogue bard multi-class, excuse me. Um but everything that they do in this book just works perfectly within their characters, particularly if you were doing like right before A New Hope, um, which also, once again, adds to A New Hope a lot. If just like whatever, whatever, you know, Luke's like, we've got to save the princess. Han's like, kid, you don't know what I've seen. You don't know what I've been through. <laughs> yeah. It definitely paints like. All the scenes in A New Hope where Chewbacca uh, just kind of goes ape on, like, stormtroopers and just kind of, like, hits them and bashes their heads in and just kind of throws them around. If Han just kind of, like, turns to Luke every time it happens and it's just kind of like, he's he's been through a lot. We, <laughs> <laughs> at some point, I need to tell you about what happened to us last month because... <laughs> Chewbacca has not been the same. <laughs> but, um, no, no, it's really interesting. I mean, like all of those, I'm all of those jokes aside. Um, the only real issue I had with it is is just that it did kind of take away um, Han and, and Chewbacca being there. It did kind of take away from the idea that you actually brought up earlier, this idea that like, you know, you have these survivors and like at no point do you really feel like any of them are safe. That doesn't really work with Han and Chewie because you know Han and Chewie are going to escape and be fine because they're in the Star Wars films. Um, but um, other than that though, I mean, Schreiber is kind of a genius here because he, so far I have not read everything in the expanded universe but so far schreiber is the first author who has worked in uh, the star wars christmas special lore into a book <laughs> so we have to give him his flowers for that that's really impressive <laughs> it does happen other things but he i think I'm sure it does i'm sure it does yeah. he is one of the er- one of the earliest uh, references i know of yeah um but um yeah, the way I think the concept of how the virus affects t- t- different races is fascinating. Um, because it seems 
that as the physiological transformation is happening in Chewbacca, um, that Chewie is also experiencing this psychological transformation as well. Mm -hmm. And um, for one thing, that takes this from just your typical run-of-the-mill zombie virus story to now it's pulling in kind of this existential horror, this kind of of crafting horror of like the virus isn't just a virus, it's like a sentient transformative thing that changes the core of who you are. Um, um, as I said before, it, it made me think about the icon that you find in t- 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 Headspace that goes beyond just turning people into the necromorphs. It, it drives them insane. It takes over them in both their mind and their body, um, which for various reasons is a way more um, horrifying <laughs> version Absolutely. of the zombie <laughs> stereotype. Um, and so seeing that in Chewie and seeing how it just totally, totally scrambles and just um, really just kind of violates everything that we know Chewie to be, this very positive, courageous, empathetic type of person. Um and seeing it just violate and turn that upside down um, was just really active. I mean, that's like, um, you know, that's really the first thing we've really said about the zombies, and it came from the prompt of how did you feel about Han and Chewie being in the book? True. Like, it yeah. obviously, like, had some impact there. So I thought that was just really, really well done. I was really impressed by that uh, because up to that point, it was just kind of your run of the mill. Oh, there's a zombie horde that they have to survive, which by all means is great. I love that type of story, but adding in that extra super weird kind of Eldritch component is um, is just really, really cool and effective. Mm. Um, which brings us, of course, to our discussion of the zombies themselves. Um now, I personally have my own internal kind of tier system that's not set in stone um, as far as, like, different kinds of zombies from different kinds of stories. Um, there are some zombies that are typical, like, uh, they just kind of are brain dead and they amble after you and and that's about it there are zombies that can sprint which is just way more terrifying of a concept <laughs> there there shout out to um the 28 days later films um for some reason just seeing a zombie just like just run like usain bolt is just way more terrifying than anything else um there are like of zombies who are more intelligent than others. Um, if you get into like Army of the Dead thing, there are zombies who can do, who can do kung fu and who are robots. That's always fun, I guess. But um, yeah, not I'm all that to say. Not all zombies are created equal. Uh, <laughs> Jacob is laughing at me for 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 slipping in a dig at his ex. 
Hydra film. That's fine. I will always forget about the robot zombies until someone mentions it again. They don't make me chuckle. Oh, yeah, they're there, everybody. If you watch Army of the Dead, they're there. I'm not going to tell you to watch it because it's not good, but um, it's in there. Uh, <laughs> why are some of them robots? Just don't worry about it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, all that to say, not all zombies are are technically created equal. Um, the zombies and death troopers are really interesting. Um, because if I can be a horror snob, just real quick, technically viral zombies are not truly zombies because the original, (laughs) because the original horror creature of a zombie was a corpse that was reanimated by some kind of supernatural force. So, um, you know, things like The Walking Dead and all of that, those technically aren't really zombies, but we've just expanded the term to be inclusive, which is fine. Um, it's <laughs> to expanding things to be more inclusive in general is a very good practice to adopt. So I'm fine with it. Um, <laughs> but all that being said, um, these zombies are interesting, man. I think I have I've watched a lot of zombie stuff out there, dude, and I can think of maybe one or two things where zombies can just like use guns and like fly ships. It's kind of crazy. Um, how did you feel about the zombies that we saw in this and just their I'm just kind of like how they worked, uh, the different variations we saw in them, how they developed through the story. Um, how would you how would you rate the zombies um, in Death Troopers? Um, if we're doing a tier system, they're at least a, um, yeah, at the very least, just be, just because there is no, <laughs> all right. Yeah. I mean, you have a zombie army chasing after you. Okay. They are going to devour you and any other group, any other su- survivors in your group that they can. Yeah. Okay. And then all of a sudden someone, pu- one of them pulls out a blaster and <laughs> you're like, what the hell are they going to do with that? And then they start shooting and you're like, Oh shit. Um, <laughs> Like that is, <laughs> and the fact th- there's a part where the zombies first start to use the blasters, where I think it's Trig who says that they are shooting wildly and inaccurately, and for some reason that that feels even scarier than if they were accurate. <laughs> well, okay, so the reason, so the reason that gets scarier though is because by the end of the book. Because by the end of the book, uh, because they they learn. I don't know if you remember this. But, oh, yeah. uh, they keep learning. They keep adapting. And then so by the end of the book, they're actually like sharpshooters, <laughs> which is even more terrifying. That's great. Uh, I yeah. mean, like even that is like is downplaying it a bit because by the end of the book, they're like <laughs> they're like flying Tie Fighters. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's. Um, I, I do really like the idea of I do really like the idea of this virus. It makes me now that I know how red red harvest apparently is the is how we find out how this virus began and like more of the of its origins. I'm really excited to read that eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this, it kind of works as just this. I don't know why any of this is happening, but it's happening to us, and we have to run and get out of here now. That aspect of it works really, really well for this. Um, 
And, and for the record, you you mentioned, you know, you, you were like, I really enjoyed the Chewbacca scene. I enjoyed the Chewbacca scene as well. It's the fact that it's never brought up ever again in the rest of the book. That is the issue for me. Um, but it, uh, just, just wanted to just wanted to clarify that, um, <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I really, really liked everything about them. I, and also, I liked that it wasn't. This is going to sound weird, but I liked that it wasn't zombie after zombie after zombie. I kind of liked that it was, okay, we've dealt with, it was kind of more like, like Resident Evil 1, okay? You, you get, get what I'm saying? Where you, sure. we, we dealt with like the first one, and then all of a sudden we ran a bit, and then we have this horde following us. That is eventually going to get to us and going to figure out how to get to us. But for right now, we have we have run and we are attempting to try to figure out how to get out of here in the safest way possible. And of course, naturally, because this is how we do these things, let's all split up. Um, and then everyone goes different ways. And then everything goes south pretty quickly. Um, I don't, I don't know, man. I just, I really liked that aspect of them. I really liked how they were written. Um, I, I also really liked that they, they're not so much of just a like brains kind of zombie. Like they are constantly described as having a smile on their face, which mm. is even more terrifying, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially if they are like eating someone while they're doing it. Um, I don't, I don't know, man. They, they, by the end of it, they are terrifying. They are utterly terrifying because especially once, once Sartorus, which <laughs> I just imagine him crawling through an air duct and all of a sudden he comes across this captain, uh, because eventually Sartorus, when he gets to the other, to the other, he gets to the Star Destroyer and eventually he comes across this group that has survived for 10 weeks, like hiding out in the air ducts and then hiding out uh, in this one room with blast doors. Okay. And eventually Sartorus realizes that they have started turning to cannibalism to survive, which then you have, then you get to have the wonderful ethical question of, does that make them any worse than the zombies or any better than the zombies? Hmm. Mm. Which Sartorus just throws that out the window. And I mean that in as, literal of a, of a possibility as I can, because he starts throwing people as human shields, um, which let me tell you, I realize that's horrible. It's also one of the funniest mental images I've ever had. Um, until you get to the guy that he that he saves, because the guy that he saves sounded really, it sounds really scared and it's, and it's kind of sad. Um, but the idea of, these guys being like, "Hey, we're gonna drug this guy so we can eat him," and then all of a sudden he starts throwing them, throwing those guys at the zombies. I was like, "Yeah, you know that kind of, that kind of tracks. That that that's kind of, that that, that that's that's reasonable. That's fair. Uh, that's fair." <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I just I I really like the zombies. I thought the uh oh, I'm sorry. The 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 main point of what I was saying there um. Because he mentions they they start learning and they start adapting their tactics. Um, there is nothing more terrifying than an enemy 
um, that can all that all of a sudden is like like okay the thing going back to Jurassic Park uh, for some reason um, the <laughs> terrifying scene of that movie is when you realize oh the Raptors learn how to open up doors they can open doors <laughs> like I understand like oh the T Rex can just break through the wall but now Raptors can open doors that that is utterly horrifying. Uh, yeah, they've learned stealth. It's bad news. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and then all of a sudden, in this we have oh zombies are learning how to fly X wings. The 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 what are doing what now? <laughs> that is that is kind of the reaction that you're going to have anytime you hear that. So so yeah, I think the zombies are really good in this. I think it's really effective. I know they're not technically zombies, like you said, Al. They're Viral infection. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> it, it works. It works. It's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, to be fair, we do have like also traditional zombies in Star Wars because we have like the Hide Sisters and stuff. But, That's true. That is um, true. Yeah. So there you go, everybody. We got both both traditional and modern zombies in Star Wars. <laughs> it really does have everything. Um, now, um, yeah. I'm glad you brought up the. Um, the one officer who Arturus like spares, um, because again he was in that transport for like ten weeks. He like he had to eat his friends to survive, and when that character eventually dies, saving the doctor and stuff, the doctor is just kind of like, oh, it was a shame. He seemed like he was really nice, and it's. And it's just this kid who's, like, seen, like, this zombie outbreak and had to eat his friends to survive. And you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's a shame. I bet if he survived, he would have been fine. (laughs) I'm sure he would have gone on to live a very fulfilling life after the things he went through. (laughs) There would have been no trouble assimilating back into culture after eating your friends to survive while trapped by zombies. Um, but what if he became a pilot at Moss Island <laughs> a month later? <laughs> An old Easter egg, everybody. That guy who ate his friends in a zombie transport, he was flying <laughs> one of the ships at Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> 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 oh, they really did bring out everybody for that scene. Um, but no, no, the zombies are really well done. There's this. There's a thing where the fact that they learn is an even more impressive step for Schreiber to take than what we initially think on the surface, right? Because traditionally, the reasons why zombies were scary and were disturbing and unsettling and all these things um, were very offensive to some people in the early days. Um was that zombies are a pastoralization of what it means to be human, right? It's almost it's almost a blasphemous take on what it means to be alive and to experience life as a human being, because you know it's it's all the it's all the appearance of life. It's these things that are able to move, are able to to have a desire as as simple and base of a desire as it is to 
eat and survive, but, but they're bereft of all of the essential things that we think of when we think about the human experience. Um, they're bereft of compassion, they're bereft of love, they're bereft of, of an interest in the world around them. And so the fear comes from this idea that um, these zombies are reanimated and they're the greatest insult imaginable to what a human life can be. And that insult in the bastardization of that concept is taken a step further here where Schreiber is just kind of like, well, what if they can reenact or reflect one more thing that we think about when we think about what makes humans the type of creatures that they are. And so you and so you give the zombies this ability to think and this ability to learn and adapt and develop. And now suddenly this this bastardization of what it means to be human is suddenly showing all signs of evolving. It's showing these signs of being on the same evolutionary scale as we are. And so it takes this fear of losing oneself and losing your identity, and it takes it a step further by still checking off some of those boxes we typically think of when we think about what it means to be human, while still robbing us of having any sense of self and any kind of entity or individuality. And so it's really a, a really good and a really cool take on zombies because it takes what has traditionally been scary about them and takes them just one step further and is able to do some really cool things as far as making the situation they're in a lot more intense and dangerous while also reflecting just another layer of what is so primal about our fear of them in the first place. And so it's just really, really, really well done. Um, and again, I'm constantly impressed by how much he was able to do with um, an otherwise very worn out and exhausted trope in just like 250 pages or less. It's just really, really impressive what he's able to do. Um, so, um, yeah, so we get to on the end of the story here um and i want to talk about character deaths because um we see a lot of character deaths in that i um, mean you know, there's a lot of people who die i'm um, in this book <laughs> during the outbreak but two of the main characters die if anybody cares about spoilers at all this is where it all goes out the window as a heads up but we see our tourists die in this, and we and we see Kale die in this, and the two deaths that they experience are very different from each other. We see Kale die in this just chaotic scene where Sahara is trying to like drag his wounded body away from the zombies, and she's already done like a surgery on him to remove the infection, and she's trying to drag him away and like just random blaster file blaster fire is going all over the place from these crazy zombies and a random blaster bolt just like takes off half of kale's face and kale's gone and it's very sudden and it's very chaotic and it's very frantic and it's very like high 
tension type thing. And then you have Sartorius's death, which is, uh, um, you know, he makes his run through this horde of zombies trying to get to uh, where the controls are. Um, he's already, like, sacrificed that crew of men that he found who, like, had eaten each other and just kind of, like, tossed them into the crowd of zombies. And he's running through, and he gets to a safe point, and then he looks down, and he has the experience that would be my absolute least favorite thing if I were ever in a zombie apocalypse, where he thinks he's gotten to a safe point, and he just glances down, and he sees that he got hit at one point. And even though he's apparently immune to, like, the airborne components of the virus, um, we've seen that if you get bit, then the traditional rule applies and you um, are infected either way. So we have this super chaotic, frantic death with Kale. We have this, this existential dread with, Ca with Captain Sartorius where he just glances down and he sees the bite and he realizes that like he's screwed and his life and sentience is on a t -t timer now and those two deaths as different as they are i think are really really well executed um so jacob how did you feel about both of these deaths and what do you think they kind of brought to the um, overall stakes of the story if you will um, so Kales is obviously the one that kind of affects the story for the longest period of time following, because uh, of course Sartorius's actual death, you know, really just kind of happens right towards the end. Um, Kales, like you said, man, Kales is just chaotic because you're because I was just assuming, like I I had literally assumed he was going to die in her arms and then eat her. That was that was my entire thought process. Um, like the the irony of her working so hard to save him was actually her undoing. That was kind of what I thought where I thought they were going to go with it. I was glad they didn't because I like Zahara. Um, but there's also just there's something just heartbreaking about you know you're you you worked so hard to save this man's life you know, and get the infection out of him. And then as you're carrying his body, as you're holding up, you know, at least half of his body weight, you know, you, all of a sudden you look down and half of his face is just gone. Like, like, like a saving, like a scene for saving prior Ryan or some shit. And, you know, it's, it's also one of those, like, like her and her and Trig have a relatively happy ending, but like at the same time, I'm just like, God, what are they going to do now? Like you said with, um, uh, was it Cadet uh, White was his name? Yeah. The guy that saves her. Like, it, it's like, you know, I think he's, uh, I think he kind of did the best, the, I think he kind of, you know, made the best of a bad situation. Um, <laughs> you know, because cause, cause well, like you said. Overall, that was probably a good ending for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, like where, where are you going to go now after this? Um you know, uh, especially for Zahara, because I mean, like at the start of the story, she loses her entire infirmary, and like that alone is going to be rough enough for a doctor. And mm. then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we're dealing with something way beyond my my skill level, um, beyond anyone's skill level at this point, honestly. Um, <clears throat> but no, with everything about Kale's death and everything about really everything that happens to Kale 
is really just a it is the it is definitely the more tragic of the deaths because obviously he has to he has to lie to his brother to get him to leave um he knows he has seen his brother for the last time whether whether he actually knew he was about to die or not he was like there's there's no way either one there there's no way this all goes out exactly you know nice and hunky-dory the way that we want it to um and uh yeah you know he just I, I don't know, man. Kale's Kale's death really Kale's death really kind of hurt me. I mean, of course, you know, having you know a brother of my own, and you know, really just siblings in general, and you and Alyssa, the thought process of like, I was able to kind of put myself in the shoes of Trig at that point, and I was just like, God, that would that would be the worst. Um, so, Al, if you ever do get you know hit by a zombie, um, you know, it would it, it, it's it's really gonna suck. Just a heads up. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> Throw that on a Hallmark card. Yeah, exactly. exactly. If you ever get bit by a zombie, man, it's who it's going to suck. Um, <laughs> who boy. <laughs> but, um, but no, because like right, right after that, I mean, literally the next two chapters over is when you have kind of the really the beginnings of the end for a trig story um because he sees his brother and then his brother because once again zombies are really terrifying in this um he sees his brother his brother vanishes behind what i can only describe as a meat pile um and then which for some reason was set up by the other team i think cuz they said they they thought that would be the best way to get them to not turn. Is that what? Am I misunderstanding that? Um, I oh, I'm not sure. I really recall the, the logic you, behind no, it. You know what I'm talking about though, right? The meat, the meat, because like there, he walks into the room, and it is described as like a pile of like like limbs and. Yeah. Like, like body yeah. it's like stacked near the ceiling right. enough, enough that he climbs it to get into the air ducts right. um, yeah i don't i'm not sure if there was like intention behind that i'm not i'm not sure it c- could have just been that's like where some of the zombies like brought like leftover flesh and stuff and dropped yeah. it there yeah i don't really know um, but I know that like Kale at that point vanishes, cosplays real quick as a stormtrooper, and then comes right back yeah. and then starts chasing Trig. Yeah, he's having fun with it. He story. is having fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and then he's chasing Trig and everything, and then and then Trig has to do what his brother would have wanted him to do, which was hurl him into a pile of zombies. So that way he doesn't eat them. Sure. Um, yeah. So, so no, I mean, Kale's, Kale's death was rough for me uh, just because of that. Sartorus was kind of, I don't know. I do like the idea of the redemption arc. I like the idea that he, once again, I like the idea that he 
he has it. So I like the idea that he's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to die. So I might as well go out doing something halfway decent. But once again, with, without his main moment of villainy being fully revealed, I'm not a hundred percent certain it lands quite as well. Um, emotionally, I think it's handled really well. I think it's written really well. Um, but the emotion I'm not sure is quite as there. Um, like as in, as, as you get with Kale, because you know, Kale is at least a halfway decent person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Sartorus, it's kind of just like a, well, if I'm going to go out, I might as well go out doing something halfway decent. That's, and I don't know, that one doesn't hit quite as hard for me, but you, you said you really enjoyed that. So, so Al, you, you, you talk about that one for a little bit, man. Yeah. Well, I just really enjoyed, um, that's this idea, you know, those two, main character deaths, they really exemplify like the two typical kinds of deaths that you see in horror stories, um, whether it be in books or, or films or whatever. Uh, you have the one that's just like very chaotic. It happens very fast. It happens very suddenly. You and the characters in the story don't have a lot of time to really process it. As it happens, you just kind of have to react, which is what we see Zahara do. She sees half his face get blown off and she just runs. Um, And then you have the other type of death, which is a lot more common specifically in zombie films, where um, one character, they get hitten by a zombie and they just kind of have to like, rest with that dread of like i know i'm going to turn i know i'm going to lose my sense of who i am like this sucks what am i going to do with like the rest of the time i have um there's always some jerk in zombie films who like they get bit and they don't tell anybody and they just wait until they turn just in like the center of camp of a bunch of people um they're always the worst. <laughs> um, it kind of t- takes on an argument of what thing are you trying to say about humanity in general? Because when a person is bit, typically in a zombie film, uh, they'll either try to hide it until they turn or they'll do something that Arteris does where they're just kind of like, hey, I'm turning. I'm going to go try to take down as any of them as I can or try to save some any people as I can. So it really comes down to what you're trying to say about just the human condition within your story. Are you trying to say that humans are inherently selfish and evil? And even if they know that their doom is inevitable, they still don't care about the people around them. Or are you trying to say that ultimately there is something good within everybody, even like the bad guys of the story and they will try to, rise above the person they've been out that they know that their time is up. So it really depends on the type of story and the type of message you're trying to tell. Um, it seems that Schreiber is trying to say that like, Hey, even this like captain of correctional offers officers in an Imperial space prison who we've already seen kill somebody in an interrogation 
who has not really shown hardly any kind of redeemable qualities at all, even that person is able to realize what the stakes are and see beyond themselves to try to help people with the time that they have left. So Schreiber takes a, um, a very optimistic kind of point of view with this. There is an alternate ending to this story where um, someone other than Schreiber is writing it and, and Sartorius goes and he tags along with um, the rest of the survivors in their escape attempt and they're like on a transport and they're flying away and Sartorius like changes and kills them all. There is a version of that story <laughs> in a parallel universe out there that exists that is really sad um, and very depressing um, that somebody else wrote. But um, yeah, I perfectly enjoy that idea. The, the idea that like, you know, even the worst person when the stakes are high enough and they realize that they're already doomed, they'll find something within themselves to, to try to redeem um, the person that they were and help the people around them. So I do like that kind of interpretation, but um, yeah, man, that part just st sticks out to me. Cause like, like both you, Jacob and everybody out there who's listening to this, I don't know how often you Think about zombie apocalypses and if they were to happen. Um, I think about them a lot. This is kind of the person I am. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of the human being that I am. And man, I just know that like if I if I got through this really high tension type of situation and I got out and I think I got to safety and I look down and there's a height mark on like my thigh or like my elbow or something like I would be, so, uh, I'd be so pissed. I'd be so, <laughs> I'd be so angry. I'd just be like, Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I would, I would definitely be the type to try to set things up for people that I love with the amount of time I have left. And when I mean, you know, when the sun's getting real low, I would um, definitely be the type to just kind of like strap grenades onto myself and just sprint into the biggest horde of zombies I can find to just mm. try to go out in a really cool blaze. That'd be sick. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no. Ah, dude, it'd be the worst if like, if like you thought you were safe and then like you got bit and like you didn't have enough time to rig something up to kill a bunch of zombies and like you just... <laughs> You just have to shoot yourself or have somebody shoot you. Ah, that would suck. Anyway, all that to say, I think about this a lot, guys. All that to say, um, no, I thought those um, two, spe two scenes specifically were really, really well done. Um, now, as we come to a close, uh, we get to the point where we ask our two typical, very important questions that we ask each other all the time. And that is... A, what was your hypest moment about the story we just read or watched or experienced in Subway? And B, does this story fit into your personal grand canon of Star Wars events? We're kind of going through these stories and kind of trying to construct kind of our own version of a Star Wars timeline with stuff we like from new canon and stuff we like from old canon. So uh, we ask ourselves of every episode, 
what stuff got you hype and if the story as a whole kind of fits into what you want your timeline of Star Wars stories to be. So, uh, um, Jacob, I will turn uh, the both of those over to you. Um, can I make a quick addendum to one of mine? Sure, absolutely. Um, instead of hypest, can I do, like, most terrifying? Because the for me, there wasn't really a whole lot of, like, things that I would describe as, like, hype moments. I, I could I could be wrong. I could, you know, you, you might have a very different answer. But for me, in this, it was more so, like, what had the most, like, what gave you, like, the most, like, visceral reaction? Uh, sure. So I was wondering, could I do that instead, perhaps? You know what? Um, tis the season. I think <laughs> that would be season. okay. <laughs> tis the season. I think that'd be just fine. Um, well, in that case, for me, it has to be the Wookiee family. Um, yeah, yeah, that's pretty both, horrific. <laughs> and also, both iterations of it, because we didn't really talk about this. Uh, we, we, we haven't really mentioned the second time that you see either the same Wookiee family or a different one. Um, but... What happens is that by that point, the younger Wookiee, um, because their their intelligence is starting to adapt, the younger Wookiee is pretending to be hurt and pretending to look for its family, tells them to open up this door, and then all of a sudden, all the other Wookiees who have already turned start rushing, bum-rushing Han and Chewie. And then the younger Wookiee, who led them into the trap jumps on the top of Han's back and you and and once again if he didn't have the plot armor of we know that a new hope is literally weeks away then I would have been like Han's dead Han is about to get his throat ripped out right now it's over um and it's uh yeah so so pretty much for some reason anytime a Wookiee was on was was on the page in this and it wasn't Chewbacca I was utterly terrified um even at times when it was Chewbacca that's true. Yes. Yeah. Even even at least one time when it was Chewbacca. Um, so, yeah. So so I will go for uh, for uh, most terrifying moment uh, would, would would definitely be like, like I said, that first time that you just that that kid that's trying to, you know, wake up his parents. And all of a sudden his parents just start eating him like that's just terrifying to me. Um, but, yeah, so that that's going to be that. And as for. As for my Grand Canon, I the thing the thing about this book and what's really interesting is it, it's it's kind of a no brainer to just say yes because it literally does it does absolutely nothing to to harm the 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 storyline of Star Wars. In fact, it kind of adds another you know oh man the Empire really do suck because we didn't we haven't really talked about this with with Zahara yet but. Um, towards the end of the book, he finds out that the entire purpose of the Star Destroyer was to figure out how to utilize this virus and unleash it on a populace and then just basically let them kill themselves, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Which is, I, I mean, one, obviously a war crime, um, but also just, like, the worst, um... So it just it just it, it's it's another it's another example of why the empire of why the empire is just the absolute just worst entity in the galaxy. Um, so so yeah so I so yeah so I mean for for me this is absolutely my grand candidate and also if someone came up to me and was like hey 
I want to read a Star Wars book, but also really like horror books. I mean, this is I'd absolutely put this in anybody's hands. Um, like I said, I know I, I haven't had as much experience with reading horror as much as other people have. Um, but when it comes but if someone asked me and was and was like, I very specifically want to read a Star Wars book and a horror book right now, what do you suggest? Um, this would definitely be I, I would 100% be okay suggesting this to someone because you don't really need a whole lot of prior knowledge of Star Wars to read it, but also you don't really need. Uh, and because of that, it's just it just it's a, just a really good, just short little horror story. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, yeah, like th- this story is so interesting, and it really highlights something that I. Th- think a lot more authors should try to take advantage of when it comes to writing books for Star Wars. Uh, we talked about it a little bit um, last year when we talked about uh, on the book Lost Stars by Claudia Gray, where, um, you know, Star Wars isn't a genre, it's a setting. And so, you know, there's this idea or this assumption a lot of the times where if the story is taking place in star wars then it either needs to be some kind of like military story or like a political intrigue story with the jedi or it needs to be about like the sith and like about like weird weird turk side stuff and there's an assumption that that's all star wars stories are but like we saw with Lost Stars, we see with this book, that Star Wars is just the framework for stories to be told within. And so just how Lost Stars shows that like you can write this really original kind of romance story that's really effective without relying on any of the typical tropes and themes you usually see in Star Wars stuff. Death Troopers really shows that like, hey, you can write horror stories. You can write stuff that's really, really intense and really, really scary and dark while still within the framework of Star Wars because all Star Wars does is it gives you a base from which to start your story. Um, and so, yeah, I think this book, um, along with Lost Stars, um, just does a really good job of kind of showing how flexible of the setting Star Wars can be. So um, I agree with that. I think it does fit into my grand canon. I think it adds some, as we've already said, it adds some hilarious implications to where Han and Chewie are psychologically when A New Hope starts. Like, I mean, I just, I want to see those scenes where like Han is talking to Jabba before they leave, except instead of in the remasters, um, Jabba's like hassling Han about his payment, and Han's just like, Jabba, <laughs> if you only knew <laughs> <laughs> where I was two weeks ago, <laughs> you would not even be asking me for a payment right now. <laughs> <laughs> even you would say, you know what, Han Solo, you've been through enough. <laughs> Just this constantly just hollowed face that Han and Chewie have. Um, but um, 
Yeah, just Chewie running and screaming in Shriwook as he runs into like a battalion of stormtroopers, just being like, I hear the voices on life day again. <laughs> just, <laughs> just destroying them. And Han just like shrugging and being like, it's it's a long story. I don't want to get into it right now. <laughs> it's, it's not important. I'm not in headspace for this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I need like... I need at least like five drinks before I talk about what happened to us. <laughs> um, so, um, no, no, I think it's great. Um, the only potential problem I can see is it directly references like um, Chewbacca's like wife and kids from the Christmas special. I don't know if that will eventually interfere with anything. I guess we'll see. I think but, they're uh, still canon, aren't they? Are they? I thought they were. Well, I I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'll I'll have to fact check that. I'll call Heckin' Boy, and we'll get a follow up on the next episode. Mm. But because I feel like that's going to take me a while to find out. <laughs> but Plus, Life Day is in November, so it'll it'll be perfect to perfect look that up. Yeah. Happy Life Day Eve, everybody. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, and then as far as uh, most terrifying moment um, that happens, um, the the quintessential zombie scene that happens, where Kale and Trig and Zahara and Han and Chewie are all trying to run through the Star Destroyer to get to the controls to turn off the on the tractor beam because the tractor beam is sucking in all of like the starfighters and escape pods and all that. So they have to get to the controls to turn that off, Uh, which is like a great, like added detail to like help the story continue. Um, They're trying to get that and they're running to get to this elevator in one of the rooms and they get about halfway to the elevator and that's when the doors to the room finally break open and just a flood of zombies just just torrentially just rushes into the room right behind them. And so Han and Chewie are like trying to like sh- shoot the ones they can and like shepherd everybody back into it. And like Trig eventually sees like the zombie that was his dad is like up and like reanimated now and is like chasing after them. And there's like these small extra details where like the zombies are like smiling at them as they chase them and are like climbing over each other. And it's just utter chaos. It's like a scene out of World War Z. And it's just so good because up to this point, it's kind of like a cat and mouse type thing where like they see some things and they like hear stuff happen and they've had a couple encounters but then just during that chase scene it all kind of just gets bottlenecked into this one room with this horde of zombies and it's just it's just really well done it's super cool um so that's mine for sure but um yeah everybody so um that's about it um, I hope y'all enjoyed this um, this special spooky edition of Star Wars EU or E-Review. Um, 
hey, if y'all like us talking about spooky stuff, then I've got good news. We're doing Horror Fest again this year. We're talking about um, all kinds of horror films, what we like about them and what we don't like about them. Um, Jacob himself uh, just recently joined us for an episode that we did for some reason on Van Helsing from 2004. Uh, that (laughs) That was a lot of fun to talk about. Um, and then we've also done um, some other classic horror films. We're doing um, a couple interesting ones. Um, still coming up the rest of the month of October. Um, so if you enjoyed this, you don't want to miss those episodes at all. I love horror. Josh loves how much I love horror. So it's always a so it's always a blast. But uh, thank you very much for hanging out with us. Um, and as always, please remember that Phantom is for everyone. Um, Alive and undead alike. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So, um, enjoy your Halloween season, everybody. Stay safe um, and be kind to each other. And we will see you on the next episode. These are the true songs of Life Day. (laughs) I'm leaving that in. Cowabunga. (laughs) Cowabunga. Hell yeah. (laughs)